Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, February 22nd. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Mercedes brings us the latest of the wind down of the protests in downtown Ottawa as police moved in over the weekend and an explanation of the significance of the vote late Monday in Parliament on the Emergencies Act. Next, we look ahead to the provincial budget, which will be released on February 24th. We get details on what we can expect from Trevor Toome, professor of economics from the University of Calgary. If you're spending more money at the grocery store these days, you're not alone. We discuss the impact inflation and supply chain issues have had on the cost of food and what we can do to lower costs at home. We speak with Janet Music from the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. And finally, it's Tech Tuesday. We learn about a major tech change in the U.S. which will impact not only American cell phone users, but also users on our side of the border. We get the details from the gadget guy, Mike Yachty. Lots of ground to cover this morning from Ottawa. The occupation has ended in the downtown core. Uh, Over the weekend, police faced off with protesters and ended the demonstrations after more than three weeks. And an historic vote on Parliament Hill yesterday. With details, we're joined by Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. We'll get to what was happening yesterday on Parliament Hill. Kind of a big deal. But first, give us a breakdown of how police ended the occupation of the nation's capital. It looked like it was incredibly well orchestrated. Yeah, it was um, It was very deliberate. I've been on lots of lines with police at protests um, covering it. And I've dealt with riot police before, and I felt these police uh, were relative, relatively restrained, uh, which is something that has gotten me lots of criticism from mm-hmm. folks who was in the convoy, uh, who were in the convoy. However, uh, I was there for G8, G20. It was very different when those riot police cleared the street. There would be no warning. They would come around corners. Uh, they would reach out to make an effort to kind of whack people, um, and they would pull people back behind the lines out of nowhere. That wasn't the case of what I saw here, and I spent both Friday and Saturday um, hours, both days, on the lines in the front. Uh, certainly was pushed by riot police at one point. That's what happens when the line moves forward. If you don't get out of the way or aren't able to get out of the way because people behind you aren't moving, which is an issue, um, then you will get pushed or hit with a baton or pulled behind the lines if you're pushing back. Um, it did not seem to me like they were looking to arrest a lot of people because they could have arrested hundreds. Um, and that was confirmed to me by police sources who said there's so much paperwork and so many people, they didn't even have the capacity to arrest that many. Um, so they were only arresting in cases where they felt that it was necessary or there was pushback uh, or if somebody essentially fell into the line, you'd get pulled back. Uh, but it was very deliberate. So especially on Saturday, which was a different profile from Friday, um, there was a warning every time the police line would move. On Friday, it was officers wearing normal uniforms. Um, So when people were talking about, you know, like the the Gestapo on the front line, these were normal police officers. They were not wearing helmets. They did not have sticks. Um, But they certainly were moving forward and pushing back on people if they didn't move. Saturday, totally different profile. Actual riot police at the front. um, And they were wearing helmets. They had batons, uh, heavy-duty body armor. Right behind them, they had people wearing gas masks. Um, And right behind them, they had members of the tactical team 
who were very close to the front. We did not see that uh, on Friday. They, the members of the tactical team were there, but they were quite a ways back. Um, so there was a very different message being sent. And every time the police line would move, they would, uh, I shouldn't say every time, but almost every time, a flashbang would go off, which was a very loud sound that sounds like a gunshot. And then they would say, move, and the line would start moving forward. And depending on the move, it could be anywhere from a couple of feet um, to, you know, close to 50 meters. And as they were doing that, police were coming in, the tactical teams, and clearing the trucks behind them to see if there was anybody in there. Um, there was one case we saw where they smashed the windows. We did not see anybody in that truck. Uh, we saw other cases where there was someone in the truck, and they arrested them. Um, but overall, it certainly seemed very controlled, very planned. I think there was a very clear message sent that they did not want there to be violence. There were certainly scuffles between some protesters and police. Um, there were journalists who got whacked by the police as they were going by, and there were protesters who I saw in some cases pushing back on the police. And like anything, um, it really depends where you were on the protest line and who the individuals uh, you were next to were and how they were interacting. But overall, it seemed like a very controlled and restrained response by the police compared to what I thought they might do after days of warning people to leave. And they would warn people on the radio before a push. They'd come on with a loudspeaker and say, if you were in this area, you will be arrested. And by the same token, the protesters, um, there was not the violence that the police had predicted. They'd said that they expected this to be uh, violent, that if the police pushed in on them in any way, they were going to somehow engage in violence. That didn't happen either. People just didn't want to move, and they were being pushed backwards. But largely, they were not getting into physical confrontations with the police. In the few cases where that happened, it was interesting because you would see other protesters saying to them, stop doing that, don't antagonize the police, don't give them a reason. Um, so that was sort of a very interesting dynamic to watch. So thankfully, there was no serious injuries on either side, which certainly was a concern, I know, for both protesters and police going into this, that people on both sides could be hurt. Mercedes, can you paint us a bit of a picture of what it looks like at the nation's capital in Ottawa this morning and, and also on arrests that were made? That Do we have numbers yet? So I was off yesterday and I don't have the most updated numbers, but the last thing that I had heard was over 100 people arrested. And, and I know there was there have been more arrests since that happened. Um, and part of the reason for that is because of the downtown core being now locked down. So I am looking out my window right now. There's a police checkpoint at the end of my street. Very loose police checkpoint. I haven't seen them stop anyone yet this morning. Uh, but I did last night and coming home, I've been stopped. And actually on my way into the office on foot, I was stopped uh, and asked for my identification. You can't get up onto Parliament Hill. You can't get into large parts of downtown at all near the hill. They've actually put up huge fences to prevent you from getting through and the police will not allow you access. Um, the rest of downtown is technically accessible, but there are police checkpoints everywhere, and you can't still get off the highway to come into downtown. It's blocked. There's only really one route in, and then um, depending on which way you come in and which police checkpoint you hit, you're being stopped and being asked, where are you going uh, or what are you doing? I have not heard or seen of cases where you've had to show, for example, identification, proving an address for your home. Uh, but the police will ask you what your business is coming into downtown. Um, and I expect that this is going to continue for a while because yesterday we got footage of a large component of trucks, some of whom we were able to identify as trucks we recognized from Parliament Hill, sitting on a farm an hour outside of Ottawa. 
So there's a lot of concern the convoy will try to come back. Um, and I suspect these police checkpoints are going to stay in place for a while. And if they see a semi coming downtown, I think that that vehicle is probably much more likely to be stopped and talked to than, for example, the minivans that I'm seeing going by right now. An incredible time. We're wondering, uh, you know, Mercedes, do you have another two minutes to, to stay with us? Sure. Okay, good stuff, because I know we want to cover what happened yesterday on Parliament Hill, and we wanted to touch on what you covered, the fact that the protesters just kind of got a camp out going on now. So it's a, it's a very interesting time. So uh, we'll uh, catch up with you just after traffic. Thanks so much, Mercedes. Sure. And we're back with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Okay, Mercedes, a big deal yesterday. A lot of people, there are a lot of people who are very unhappy about it and a lot of Canadians who believe it was the right thing to do, but Parliament voting on the future of the Emergencies Act. Can you kind of break down what happened yesterday and what the next steps will be? Yeah, so essentially what happens when the Emergencies Act is invoked is that the Prime Minister has the power to do that, and he did. But in order for it to stay, it has to be approved by both Parliament and by the Senate. So last night was the vote on that, um, and it, it looked like they were trying to make it a confidence vote, which was very interesting, and the Prime Minister would not come out and quite say this. But two Liberal MPs were indicating to us that it was a confidence vote. Otherwise, they would have voted against it. Um, but essentially, that means if people had voted against it and it failed, it would not have only been the end of the Emergencies Act. The government would have fallen, um, which would obviously be a, a difficult situation at this time. And that would mean that either um, Candace Bergen would be given the opportunity to see if she could form a government or we would go to the polls if she could not. Uh, so some saw that as a pretty heavy-handed tactic to try to force this through. I suspect it would have passed anyhow, given the support that we were hearing about it from the NDP and the majority of the Liberal caucus. But obviously the decision to do that on something that is already so controversial, and there's a lot of questions about, um, without answers, you know, how long exactly is this going to go on? Sounds like a month. Uh, what precise powers are being used? What transparency do we have to know that police and the government are not abusing these authorities as they look into people's bank accounts, um, etc., are still really up in the air. But either way, the government got what they wanted. Um, the Emergencies Act will remain in force. Justin Trudeau and his government um, have the extraordinary powers under that. And for those who are listening, it does not mean your charter rights have been suspended, despite what we've seen reported in some foreign media. That's incorrect. The charter is absolutely still in force. Certain rights can be suspended to a degree, uh, and they can be challenged in court later. But obviously, it's, it's pretty serious. I mean, when you're police able to deny people access, to areas of a city, um, the ability to look into accounts to find the finances behind this convoy. Uh, all of those things are, are very big and very serious. And the government says that they're necessary in order to slow this down. And the sources that I spoke to say it has less to do with policing and more to do with the financial side, that they really want to get to the bottom of where the money was coming from and to freeze all of those accounts where the money was involved. For those who donated money, your account will not be affected. And this is something that wasn't really clear to us last week, so I think it's important to mention. Mm -hmm. Because when I interviewed uh, Bill Blair on the show, I asked him explicitly about that. Because it is technically funding for the convoy, which they've talked about freezing. And what he said is they're looking into the accounts that were dispersing the funds, not the accounts that were contributing the funds. So if you're someone who contributed 20 or 50 or $200 or whatever to this convoy, your account's not going to be frozen as a result of the Emergencies Act, and, and you're not going to be criminalized as a result of that.
We have about 40 seconds left, uh, Mercedes. But yes, to that point, we've had questions about that. I've donated 10 bucks or freezing accounts. Uh, just before we let you go, uh, rumors that, you know, a woman was trampled severely by a horse. Rumors that an old man was beat down by a group of police, um, uh, defenseless, and had no weapons on him. Uh, can you confirm any of these incidents that people are writing about online? Yeah, so there's a lot of misinformation about these events. Uh, I can speak to the horse in particular. Um, in that particular event, a woman was knocked to the ground. It's not clear whether or not she was trampled. Um, both fire and EMS who were present on the scene told me that she got up immediately and that she wasn't trampled. She did go to the hospital. Authorities are saying that's because of a heart condition. She's since given an interview where she says she was trampled. We don't have a lot of the details. When you look at the video and slow it down, what you see is her being knocked to the ground. And the videos that are everywhere on social media, um, and some of the photos have been photoshopped, but she absolutely was knocked down. What's not clear is to what degree the horse stepped on her, if the horse stepped on her. Um, but if you watch it, you see the horse knock into another man, um, and then all of a sudden she's on the ground. So it, it looks one way. It's hard to tell exactly what happened. What we were saying very clearly on the air is that she did not die, and that was the concern because mm-hmm. there was a Fox News report. She died because she was trampled. It's not the case. She's very much alive, thankfully, and well. It is a great reminder that we need to check our sources too, right? I mean, I, I read a story that Rebel Media was behind pushing her into the horse. So, you know, crazy stories on either side, and we do need to be sure that the information is correct before we start spreading it around. Uh, but we always thank you for bringing us the firsthand information right from the scene. Thank you so much, Mercedes, as always. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News, Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. And the Alberta government will be releasing the 2022 budget this Thursday with insight into what we might be able to expect and if Alberta can balance the budget this year. We're joined this morning by Trevor Toome, Professor of Economics at the University of Calgary and a research fellow at the School of Public Policy. Good morning to you, Trevor. Thanks for being with us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what are you anticipating from the provincial budget this week? So I I think one important thing that I'm anticipating is because the oil price right now is trading as high as it is over $90 and projected to remain pretty high well into the 80s for the coming year that we're not just going to have a balanced budget when we see it on Thursday but essentially seeing a multi-billion dollar surplus when it comes down just because of high royalty revenues. Wow incredible we'll talk about the impact that might have on Albertans and uh, especially with you know the state of the provincial government and, and kind of a win for them. We'll get there in a second, but I want to ask the priorities. What are the priorities going to be? What, what, what can we expect to see as Albertans high on the list? Well, I think naturally health is going to be an area of focus, not just because we have gone through such a difficult two years here and there's going to be a need to reinvest and expand health care capacity, but it is the largest area of government and if we are in a position where we're no longer battling a deficit i think that'll kind of top the list of of an area where the government might want to allocate some additional spending so i'll be keeping an eye on health expenditures when we see the budget with the up and down of oil prices and therefore the budget and and the deficit obviously do you do you think or, or do you predict the the provincial government might do something this time around you know in anticipation of of those prices obviously going back down again at some point well, that's the thing to keep in mind. Roller coasters go up, and indeed they go down, and they go down quickly and unexpectedly at some time, and we're going to see that 
inevitably at some point or another. So I do hope that we start to think about what we do with royalty revenues aside from just spending every dollar that comes in. But I'm not sure I would expect that this budget. I think there's been a lot on the government's plate and coming up with a whole new like structure to Alberta's fiscal policy is probably not something that, given COVID, they've been able to invest their time and attention uh, into. But we did see it in 2015 with former Premier Prentice having a budget that proposed to save an increasingly large share of royalty revenues. And that something like that uh, would be nice to see, but I wouldn't bet on it for this Thursday. Well, let's, let's talk about this, Trevor, because, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, the importance of this budget for the UCP government in that this will be the one, the last one, really, that they'll be able to see it working and unfolding because I believe next year's budget, you know, there's there's an election not too far after that. So the importance of this budget and, you know, if they will be able to do enough to maybe change, uh, you know, the outlook of, of, of the UCP at this point as they do need a win. Well, budgets are particularly important documents, not just economically, but also politically. So you're right to note that if we have a a positive and strong budget, it will allow the government to point to uh, its own Alberta recovery plan uh, and try and take credit for some of the positive developments. And, And, you know, even though most of the upswing here that we're seeing is because of global factors Mm -hmm. beyond the control of any Alberta government, it's not unusual for governments to claim credit for things that mm-hmm. you know, they may not actually be responsible for, just like they get blamed when um, negative things happen that they're not responsible for. So that'll be, I think, central to the government's political messaging after the budget drops for the, the weeks after. And it certainly couldn't hurt, uh, I would expect, the premier going into a leadership race, in, uh, or not race, leadership vote in April. Very, very true. Yeah. Trevor, what are you anticipating for 2022 in Alberta? Do we think it'll be a strong year? I mean, oil prices, like you say, it seems we never know when they're going to go up and down. And uh, drilling seems to be up a bit this year. Do we Uh think it's going to be a positive year this 2022? Well, one thing that makes this high price environment different than where we were, say, in 2014, 13, and those years prior is that we're unlikely to see investment in new projects and facilities rising in response to these high oil prices. So I think a a lot of jobs are not going to come back because those are employments that we lost in the recession connected to the investment, the construction, the exploration activities, those support roles. Uh, And companies now are just much more efficient uh, than they were before. And so this is not going to be a magic bullet for the economy as a whole or for employment even though it's certainly helping the government's bottom line quite a bit. It'll be very interesting to find out exactly what comes down later this week. So thank you for your time, Trevor. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. That is Trevor Toon, professor of economics at the University of Calgary and a research fellow at the School of Public Policy. With inflation at a 30-year high, making your dollar go further at the grocery store matters more than ever. With insight into what is costing more, here's a hint to everything, but those areas that are hardest hit. And how we can save some more money, we are joined by Janet Music, Agri-Food Analytics Lab and Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. Good morning to you, Janet. Good morning. Well, we do know that that grocery bill overall is 
considerably larger than it was a few months and certainly uh, over a year over year. Uh, but what items have been hit hardest by inflation, Janet? Well, we have been seeing this, um, you know, kind of this shocking sticker prices, uh, probably beginning in the fall. And of course, we're seeing at the at the meat counter, meat generally is probably one of those big ticket items in the cart anyway. And so we're seeing, you know, kind of an increase in those uh, cuts of meat. Of course, you know, Alberta is the land of delicious meat, um, but, you know, still being affected uh, at the meat counter. And then, you know, Canada in the winter, right? It's, so we're we're shipping in a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables, and they're getting kind of tied up in the supply chain and the cost of energy, of course, and and labor shortages in some of that. You know, shipping industry is causing prices to rise there as well. So we're kind of, you know, if you're a meat and potatoes kind of person, you're kind of getting hit, you know, significantly on that dinner plate. Janet, I mean, it's really meat for sure, but even vegetables, everything is going up. So how do we stay on budget and stay healthy while the prices continue to climb? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so we're going to see some uh, increases in produce until probably, you know, summer when, when we're growing things here in Canada. And so you can go pop down to the farmer's market or here in Nova Scotia, you know, people are selling fish on the side of the road. But, you know, in the meantime, uh, if you have a freezer, for example, you can get those kind of produce that are flash frozen when they're fresh and they're just as nutritious and they tend to last longer and be a bit cheaper. And of course, you know, everything old is new again. And so people are, are consulting flyers and comparison shopping for some of those middle of the store, you know, those aisles. Because, you know, things like ketchup and, and, and juice and, and even French fries, they're all increasing in price as well for some of the same reasons we're seeing, you know, shipping and weather, etc. And then, of course, you know, timing in life is everything. And so when you get to the grocery store, you know, if you're at the right time of day, you'll get that meat, uh, you know, discounted. Enjoy tonight, for example. Can you even get 30 to 50% off? Toss that right in your freezer and, it, and it's, it's waiting for you when you're ready. And Janet, yeah, I've taken advantage of that more than a few times. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's uh, enjoy tonight. Well, enjoy uh, two weeks from now if I put it in the freezer tonight. Uh, but it's interesting to me because I think that we've, uh, from my perspective, become this society where we can just pop into the grocery store whenever we want, three, four times a week. It doesn't matter. But I, I think the other throwback besides coupons is meal planning. I think people are really starting to take the time to perhaps plan those meals more. Have, have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the strange kind of things that, well, not strange, but, you know, kind of interesting thing that kind of comes out of COVID-19 lockdowns was that people, you know, got reacquainted with their kitchens again uh, in a way that they hadn't been doing before the pandemic. And so, you know, people are learning to cook, trying recipes from, you know, the family cookbooks. And that makes meal planning a bit easier when you know how to cook, right? And you can kind of plan this out. And that is absolutely a good tactic to have. And it also has this kind of added bonus of, of cutting down on food waste because here in Canada we waste a ton of food and we don't have to so if you plan before you shop you know you cut down on waste you save a bit of money and you can have a good variety of meals in your diet 
Totally agree with you, Janet. And, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. Back to that old school cooking sort of way sometimes, too. I'm hearing a lot more people making casseroles again because you're able to stretch perhaps one piece of meat into something that will last a couple of meals for the whole family. So there are great ways of doing it. But do we expect and do you as economists expect that, you know, prices will continue to climb? Is that something that we're going to see for evermore or, or do we will see something, you know, kind of it, it taper off a bit? Well, you know, when we're talking about raising, you know, rising food prices, we're really talking about affordability. And so, you know, the problem isn't that that hot dogs are up, you know, 15%. The problem is that hot dogs are up, but wages aren't aren't keeping pace with them, right? And so, you know, we will always have these kind of people that are on the margins who are struggling to put food on the table, and we should, that is a, a significant problem. But now we're seeing people in the middle moving closer to the margins. And so without those kind of wage increases to kind of, you know, make sure that people, are, you know, aren't, aren't falling behind, it's going to be a problem. And so, Will we see prices come down? Well, you know, in the warmer months when, when weather isn't as much of a factor, uh, you know, in the springtime and in the fall, yes, we'll see some things kind of evening out. But in the long run, we really need to have a, this kind of national conversation about manufacturing in this country, how we keep people in jobs with incentivizing real wages, and just, you know, you know, how do we want to make Canada more food secure from December to April? Janet, I'm wondering, you know, is this a, a problem that's across the globe when it comes to this disparity? Or is it uh, Canada specific or more so in our country compared to others? No, you're absolutely right. It is a global phenomenon. And so, you know, we know in the United States, for example, they are also seeing significant inflation across the board and food that includes food price inflation but their wages are keeping up so it's a bit different for them um you know and and we're seeing like these adverse weather effects and i know you know alberta was hit by droughts last year bc had floods and wildfires and and that's not just in canada that's across the globe flooding in china droughts in europe and so we have a globalized supply chain and these problems are affecting, you know, producers and manufacturers across the globe. And so it's not just a Canadian problem. It's much bigger than that. Interesting conversation and sadly one that's not going away. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Janet. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Janet Music is an agri-food analytics lab and faculty of management at Dalhousie University. Uh, and Andy, it's an interesting conversation because... You know, I, I'm hearing a lot of people, as she said, right, we live in the, the land of the best beef in the world. Yeah. A lot of people saying, hey, do you want to go in? We'll buy half a cow, for example, yes. as a way to sort of save some money, but also, you know, still eat the food that we love to eat and be able to afford it. Yeah, no, there's that. You got to be creative if you still want that. Or it's, you know, depending on your flexibility, on your tastes and, you know, uh, can you do it? Can you switch out? The beef for, as we heard last week, we talked about people saying, you know, they, they eat beans more to get the protein. Or, you know, are you that much of a beef eater that you, you can't switch it out to be pork, for example? And pork, everything's gone up, but, you know, it's always been a cheaper alternative. So the creativity comes out, I think, mm -hmm. when we're against it. And, and this is one more example of that. So 
What's that machine you and I were talking about that sucks the air out of the oh, packaging? It's not, it's not a dehydrator. I, it's a, I know I can't think of the name yeah. of, of it, but I, I, I'm hearing lots of people saying that's the way to go. Buy one of those. Things will stay frozen far longer and far yeah. better. And let's face it, if you can buy in bulk and freeze it, it, it's a much better idea. A major change by wireless providers south of the border today means Americans with older smartphones won't be able to make some phone calls and it will impact Canadians and may force some of us Andy, to upgrade to newer devices. Our gadget guy, Mike Yanni, is taking a look at this issue for us, plus concerns about Wordle. Mike, let's break it down with the top tech stories. Good morning to you, first of all. Good morning. Yeah, this is a really interesting tech day in the States because it mentioned some of the wireless carriers shutting down the 3G networks. Now, this is, you know, 3G's been around for a while now, and it was a breakthrough when it launched in the late 2000s. You might remember that 3G was supposed to be this new network to not only improve, you know, voice quality on phone calls, but allowed for fasting surfing of the internet. You know, not fast enough to maybe download YouTube videos or movies. That wasn't even our radar back then, right? It was all about voice quality. Um, but this means that, yeah, some people are going to have to update their smartphones. So anything with an iPhone 6 and up will still work. Galaxy devices, S, the Galaxy S5 and up will still work, and the Google Pixel 2 and up will still work. But if your phone is older than that, you're going to have to upgrade. Uh, and you might think, okay, we're in Canada. This doesn't impact us. But wireless carriers across the country, including Rogers, have already said that by 2015, we're going to start shutting off our 3G signals here and networks in Canada. So, And if you travel to the States with an older phone, it won't work. So something to keep in mind. Oh, very, very important. Yeah, so many people just, you know, think it's seamless if you're crossing the border. Obviously, yeah. not the case. You know, switching some gears and talking about what everybody's talking about and continues to, Wordle. Now, it's interesting <laughs> because Wordle, you know, when, it, when the New York Times bought it, you think, well, how, how are they going to make money off this? And if they make money off it, there'll be major changes. Well, it seems like the game's intact, but they did find a way to make money. Yeah. Behind the scenes, they're making money. It's not, uh, it's not apparent when you log in uh, to that website. Uh, but coders have discovered that inside the game and code, it is now loaded with ad trackers. And a lot of your information is being sent to third-party companies, including Google. So, you know, the Wordle site has access, they've discovered, to your location. You know, where you are when you play Wordle each day. The time at which you play, which could give people hints uh, to, you know, what when you start your work day, when you get your breaks. So advertisers can use this data to paint a bigger and better picture of your daily habits. And of course, people are upset now. You know, this started as a free game that was mm-hmm. free of any ads and ad tracking software. It was just out there for fun. And now this has been turned into a moneymaker. But you know what? You've got to point something out, too. A lot of apps do this. It's not just Wordle, and that's just kind of, you know, that saying in life that nothing in, in life is free. It rings true here. You pay for these apps by sharing your personal information, and it's not just Wordle. We should know that by now, but our addiction yeah. to Wordle, I think, is going to override anybody who's worried about that. <laughs> it, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your time. I'm on to my Wordle puzzle right now. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Mike Yanni is the gadget guy. You can find him on social media on Twitter at gadget underscore guy on Insta. He's at gadget guy, Mike, and he's got a great YouTube channel with all kinds of amazing videos. Check him out. Gadget guy, Mike Yanni. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review for free at Apple podcast, Google play, or wherever you find your podcasts and tune in to mornings with Sue and Andy from five thirty to nine every weekday morning on seven seventy CHQR.